everyone, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to a very special episode of the Team Success Podcast. I am excited because today I have someone who I'm going to call a friend and who's also a client of Strategic Coach in our 10X Ambition Program. He is someone who is not only an incredibly successful serial entrepreneur, but also someone who's incredibly like-minded with me about the importance of core values and culture. We've had some rich conversations, and today I have the opportunity to interview him, which I'm really excited about. So this is Christian Cotaccini, who is the co-founder and CEO of HeroX, and I'll have him describe the company because he'll do a much better job than I will. But Christian, thank you so much for joining me, and I'm, as you already know, super excited to interview you about things that you are so conscious and conscientious about that I know a lot of other people are striving for. So thanks very much for joining me today. You're welcome, and and thanks for having me. This is super exciting. Great. So first of all, before we jump into some of the content we want to cover today, which is, again, core values, culture, and how to make that work, can you please tell everyone what HeroX does? Because what you do as an organization is really special, and you're what is called an exponential organization, and that's kind of fascinating. So tell us what you do. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So Probably many of the listeners have heard about and know about Peter Diamandis. Peter started the XPRIZE Foundation that used a prize to open up space for entrepreneurs and really start the commercial space industry. And I met Peter, and he was doing other XPRIZES with the XPRIZE Foundation and using the power of, of a prize to incentivize breakthroughs and innovation. We came up with the idea of, hey, couldn't we democratize this capability and create a platform that makes it super simple for people to use prizes, they're called incentive competitions, to get the results that they want out from the crowd. There are 3 billion people who are connected to the Internet. There's an unbelievable pool of talent there. And we basically have a platform that lets anybody put up a goal on our platform, incentivize it with a prize, and then they only pay for success. And that works all the way down to prizes that are like $1,000 or a couple hundred dollars for simple things, all the way up to larger prizes that we work with larger organizations to do. And it's been hugely successful so far. Fantastic. I'd love to hear an example of one of the prizes that just had one of those breakthrough results. I love the idea of only paying for success. That is such an entrepreneurial (laughs) way of thinking. So what's been one of the really fun competitions to work on? Jeez, you know. I know you have too many to talk about. Too many to talk about, but let me just talk about one that I'm super proud of that just closed, like it was just completed, and that was the Forbes Under 30 Challenge that we launched with Forbes. And they wanted to invest in great ideas for social entrepreneurs that were like under 30. So they're really helping support those younger entrepreneurs that have a social vision, want to make the world a better place. So they put together a prize on the HeroX platform and we had 2,500 social entrepreneurs register to participate, and 900 of them submitted ideas, great ideas that they were working on. Wow. And, yeah, it, was, it exceeded their expectations, and they got just an amazing result. They shortlisted to six finalists and flew them out to New York, and then they pitched on stage. There was a live voting process, and then they awarded the winner. And, it, like, people were in tears. It was super awesome. You know, that's the power of it. And I could talk about all these different other prizes we're working with with different companies. But the power of it is you can set the goal to be anything you want it to be. And people will step up and do it. We've done some very obscure, very narrowly targeted, very technical prizes. And they've been a huge success. Mm, That is so exciting. I mean, just to have a way to access, as you said, the talent and creativity of 3 billion people. Because normally you go out and figure that out on your own. It looks way too overwhelming and hard and challenging. But you've got this platform to make that easy. And I know that also from hearing Peter talk about competitions, one of the success criteria is having very clear, specific constraints. Is that right? That's right. Absolutely. The clear objective goals, describing what you're looking for in the form of goals that need to be met is the key element and not necessarily assuming how people will do it or what they will invent, but just setting those goals really opens up an amazing level of outside-the-box thinking that it might be outside the box for you, but it's not for somebody else. For them, it's like, oh, well, obviously solve it this way. And then they submit their solution and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is unbelievable. That's just creativity unleashed. I love it. Yeah. 
Wow. One of the things that impressed me when you were talking at your last workshop as strategic coach was you as an organization. So HeroX was founded in 2013. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right. As kind of an offshoot of the original X Prize. And, mm-hmm. and you yourself are actually an exponential organization. So can you talk about that? Because I was completely fascinated and I couldn't wait to dive deeper into this. Yes, it's been an amazing journey and it's been really, really successful. And I'm, I'm really proud with what we've done. The way it started is, well, first off, you know, this is my fourth startup. And so I've had a lot of experience in how do you form an organization from nothing, from a starting point. And, and I've seen them take a certain personality and a culture, and I've seen that whole process multiple times. So with HeroX, it was really an opportunity for me to really think through that process at a much grander scale. Add to that that, of course, Peter is my business partner, and, you know, he's Mr. Exponential and Mr. Abundant <laughs> Thinking. Yes, so that yes. raises the bar a little bit, right? Yes. And as well as what we were taking on, like HeroX, you know, it's a game changer for the whole world if we are successful. So I almost feel humbled at, like, the commitment of making this real because it's not really about me as an entrepreneur, but it's about delivering this to the world. And that's been an amazing process in itself. But when we started, we really wanted to, you know, rethink the whole what an organization is and really, really rethink that. And there's a lot of work being done by a lot of different people. You know, Salim Asmail just published Exponential Organization, which is a very interesting book. Mm -hmm. And we apply a lot of the components in that book as well. And a lot of people are looking at this stuff. And so we really decided that we were going to be a global organization from day one. The Internet is global. We want participants from all over the world. So we started as a virtual company. We don't have headquarters in a geographical spot. Our headquarters is in the cloud. And we recruit globally. And we use a lot of practices in how we build our company that's really in the exponential organization side of things. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's kind of fascinating is that the number of competitions you're doing is increasing, but mm-hmm. the cost of doing them is actually going down. That's right. Now, explain how that works and how that's actually a healthy business model, because I'm sure some people will be a little confused as I say that. It's a little bit like making more money and taking more time off. It sounds contradictory, but it's really not. Yeah, well, we started with XPRIZE's model. You know, they've been doing prizes for 15 years. They do large prizes that are very labor-intensive. They have 80 people on their staff, and they do amazing work. But Peter's intention was really to disrupt that approach democratize and digitize and distribute and disappear the work in doing prizes. That's obviously a really audacious goal. And by the way, what I love about Peter is he walks the talk. He talks about this stuff, but then when he works with startups that he's founded, he actually walks the talk. So what we want to do is we've like started there, and then we've systematically looked at how do we disappear the work, use technology to simplify it, And then every time we achieve that milestone, we drop the cost of doing an incentive competition down, down, down. And, you know, we've now gotten it to a point where you can run a prize at a super low price point, you know, using the Herox platform. And it literally was double the price like six months ago, and it's half the price now. And we continue to simplify and simplify and and do that. And that's going to really, really help us create scale, right? As we create liquidity, like we're creating a problem-solving platform. Mm-hmm. And we want this to become a common tool. Like, you know, our vision is that people sitting in a boardroom talking about a problem, they should be like, well, do you think we could crowdsource the solution? <laughs> like, we want that to be a common question. And not every problem is appropriate for crowdsourcing, but a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we want to do. And we want to make this marketplace as easy to use, as inexpensive, and as turnkey as we can. So listening to you, the first thing that popped into my head was you're following Moore's Law. Yeah. So Moore's Law is that the speed and power of the microchip doubles every 18 months and the price goes in half. You've, in fact, yeah. accelerated that quite a bit. But yeah. that's really powerful, and it totally is about scale. And I love that you think about hiring a team member or you think about running an incentive competition through HeroX. Those two thoughts would be equally powerful in in teams' minds as they look at problem solving. Yeah, and, you know, I'll make a quick side note here, which is like Peter talks about AI and robotics and how technology is going to do more and more. HeroX is almost like the counterpoint, right, which is you're absolutely right. AI and robotics, they're going to do amazing things. But there's this really magical thing about human beings, 
about our ability to create and innovate and apply our passions and our purposes. And HeroX is almost like the platform that celebrates human ingenuity. I think it's going to be a big part of our future for a long time, alongside all of the great machines that we're going to build. Mm, I love that. And, well, my passion is people, so I'm fully in alignment with that. Thank you for illustrating that. That's incredibly exciting. Let's talk about your team, because if you've got a global team, one of the questions I always have is, well, how do you hold everyone together? You know, if you don't see each other or talk to each other in person all that often, what is the framework, what is the structure that you use to kind of make sure that everyone is operating from the same song sheet, you know, same mm-hmm. template? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is going to be HeroX's core values, but I just want to verify that that's part of how you think about it. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs are shocked when I talk about, you know, that we're a virtual company and and all of that. And there's a lot of that old school thinking that we all have to be in one place and be supervised, right? (laughs) Yep. To perform. In past companies, I've practiced results-only work environment, which is a really great practice that I recommend people look into using virtual teams and things like that. You know, one thing I realized is that I don't really want to have supervised my people. Like, even if I could supervise them, I don't really want to work with people that need supervision. I want to really work with people who are jumping out of bed and love what they do. And then I would talk to people, and I found out that most people, especially, like, A players, like the amazing people, they don't want to be supervised either. So here you've got, you know, an entrepreneur that doesn't really want to supervise people. Most entrepreneurs, I don't think, want to supervise people. They just think they have to. They hate it. I talk to them all the time, like, oh, yeah. if I could run my business without people, it'd be great. I'm like, oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because entrepreneurs aren't managers. Right. We're leaders, but we're not managers. Yeah. I would posit that even managers don't really want to manage people. They want to lead them and support them. Mm-hmm. They want to engage with them and collaborate. But the managing people part, that's why most companies have HR departments, right? So right. managing people part, when it gets too hard, you can delegate it to the HR department. <laughs> Right? I love it. That. Yeah. So even the managers don't want to manage people, and the people don't want to be managed. And by the way, with the new generation that's entering the workforce, they want to be managed even less. And in fact, if you look at the word management, at the risk of us digressing, if you look at the word management and you trace its history, it actually traces back to the Industrial Revolution when we were moving into the factories. Before that, that whole idea of managing people, there wasn't a term for it. Mm-hmm. It was actually invented as part of the Industrial Revolution and then indoctrinated in the modern post-industrial corporation. It's a relatively new concept. And my argument is it's also a relatively obsolete concept, at least for cutting-edge companies like Hero S. Well, I could not agree more. And especially at the entrepreneurial bleeding edge of things, that's 100% true. And I was describing organizations to some friends of mine. And I said, you know, the old structure is hierarchical. You climb the ladder, you get to the top. That's the smartest, best and brightest people. Mm -hmm. I said, but now it's a network. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you need a completely different mindset. You need different tools. You need different structures. You need a different way of operating, being much more what we call self-managing and self-multiplying, to be successful in that network, collaborative, teamwork-focused environment. And that's where the world is moving to. And and the quote-unquote creative destruction, to use Joseph Schumpeter's term, Mm-hmm. with those larger organizations is rapid and fast. So mm-hmm. people need to kind of adopt this much more networked mindset to be successful. Exactly. Totally agree. Cool. So what are the structures that you use to hold everything together? Because, again, if you've got the network, I think of it as kind of a spider web. What are the little threads that are holding people together? Yes, and that's where kind of core values fits in it because there's kind of there's three fundamental components that I look at in terms of what needs to be at HeroX. The first one is we need to have an amazing set of ever-improving systems, management systems, strategic planning systems, sales system. You can call them process as well. Process and system is kind of interchangeable. Mm -hmm. And that needs to work. Now, in a virtual team, that's really important. Now, I would argue it's really important in an office as well. But in a virtual team, it's the contrast of the system working versus not working is very stark, Mm -hmm. which I actually like because it's you focused on that. The second thing that you need is you need to have A players. That word is used a lot, and I think it's largely misunderstood of what that means. But you need to have A players that are in their unique ability 
and passionate about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that has to match up with what the organization needs them to do. Right. And then the third thing that you need is a commitment to an amazing culture that ruins your team for working anywhere else. <laughs> that is a brilliant way to put it. I love it. That's almost like my test. Somebody has to say that to me, like, oh, my God, this has to work because I don't think I can ever work anywhere else. They're totally spoiled. Yeah, but more pragmatically, it's about a culture that they thrive in, that they feel it's their home to be at, that they contribute towards, that they protect, that they cherish, they talk about. It's all that stuff, that culture. Culture's always been important. It's always been talked about. We've always looked at companies that had great culture and go, oh, wow, yeah, like that's really important. But I think it's even more important now than ever because the relationship with employees and employers is shifting and people are more fluid and they're more willing to move and leave. There's less job security and people don't stay in one place to retire and all that stuff that a lot of other people have talked about. But it really means that the really bright stars are going to choose where to work. Mm-hmm. And if you create an environment that's not awesome, awesome people are not going to be there. And there's really nothing you can do that's going to make them be there. So I think that culture is one of the most important elements of any business at any scale in any industry. But I'll say one thing real quick. In the startup world and in the tech world, I'm shocked that culture and core values hasn't really elevated to a strategic necessity as much as it has, and there's really no book for startups that really targets how you do core values in a startup type of thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to write it. That probably should be you. It might be me. <laughs> You've already got the basis for it right here. <laughs> it's a great point, because I think for a lot of people, culture is an afterthought. Core values for at least founders are often intrinsic. They're not something that's explicit to people. We just had an interesting exercise here at Coach where we had part of our goals to increase our engagement. So we're doing the Mm -hmm. engagement multiplier program to really articulate our purpose. Well, I've been here since 1991 and I feel exactly the way about our culture as you described. I'm like, I'm very protective of it. I cherish it. It's my home. So I love how you described that. So I was like, yes, that's how I feel. But it was something like, doesn't everyone get it? You know, mm-hmm. in my ignorance, really. And we made it really explicit as to why we do what we do, which is mm-hmm. bottom line to expand entrepreneurial freedom. That's the short version, which I adore. Mm-hmm. And it was so refreshing to kind of bring it to top of mind, not just assume, because that's what was happening. And I think a lot of startups, even longer term companies, assume that people know it's kind of one of those things that seems sort of amorphous and not tangible. So they ignore it because they don't actually know how to get a handle on it, which is what impresses me so much about yours. So how did you come up with, how did you go about creating your core values? Well, let me answer that, but let me just introduce a concept that I think is really important real quick, because this is a little bit theoretical, but the first thing you got to get is that the source of culture is humanity. Like as a species, we are social animals, and we survive through millennia by leveraging our social capabilities. So the need for culture is hardwired mm. into our very being. So thus, every organization has a complete culture. Okay, every social group, you know, your family has a culture. My family has a culture that's different than your family's culture. Every organization you're in, we can't help but create a culture around it. That culture is anchored in a set of agreed behaviors, and those behaviors are set by a set of agreed-to values. When you don't worry about all that stuff, it's just going to show up randomly based on the personalities of the people especially the leaders in the company, their good habits, their bad habits, what they tolerate, what they don't tolerate, how they react to conflict, how they react to problems, how they react to good things, all of that is going to define a culture. So you're going to get a culture whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing to understand. So when I started HeroX, I knew that. In my other companies, I've made lots of mistakes and I've paid a lot of price for all of that stuff and then through a process of trial and error entrepreneurs are very good at trial and error (laughs) I eliminated every other way except a way of intentionally creating core values so the first exercise we did when we first got started when I stepped in as co-founder is we sat down 
with some sticky notes, and we started talking about values, the very first thing we did. And then we go through a process, and I won't go into the full extent of it, but we go through a process where every 90 days we would go through a core values exercise, and that core values exercise would refine it. And what you see in front of you, the Herox core values, which listeners, by the way, can go to herox.com slash values, and you'll see them there as well, is the result of about seven quarters of that core values exercise, so seven iterations of the core values exercise doing the progress, not perfection, an 80% solution approach each step of the way, which the coach listeners will understand what I'm talking about. So now that you've done it for each of those seven quarters, do you review it every quarter again, or is it once a year? How often do you kind of reflect back on them? We still review it every quarter. We do strategic planning every quarter, and that's a really important process, so it weaves into that. And we're in a high-change, high-growth environment, so... For us, a quarter is like a year, right? (laughs) So that's how we do it. As we probably scale, it might change, although I'm not sure. Because the world, by the way, is just moving fast for everybody, right? Right. But the change on the core values has slowed way, way down. And in fact, the last cycle, the eighth cycle we just ran, the only change we made was we cut out like a little typo. I love that. And actually, I think, to your point, I imagine that they will stay. They're very essential. We'll get to them in just a moment. But they're of the essence. And really, that shouldn't change, if you think about it. Things maybe change in meaning slightly. But as things speed up, I actually think you want to be able to go back to your core values and have them be really 80, 96, 99.2% stable, because that gives people confidence. Dan likes to say, slow down to speed up. And this is one of those slow factors, which I think is really important. Yeah, it's a good question. Now, I'm an innovator entrepreneur. Like, I innovate. I always look for innovation. So I look at this, what we're doing at HeroX, as kind of an experiment. It's a great experiment, and it's founded on a lot of really awesome experiences and skills that I've developed. But we do the core values exercise, and I'm curious to see if the values do shift or if they don't shift at all. And that's Mm going to be a very interesting thing to see now that we've kind of got them to a place where they really resonate with everybody in the staff and with our customers and with everybody we really talk to, it'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Now, I know people are dying to know which core values we're talking about, but can you just give us a two-minute synopsis of the process that you go through? Because I really liked what you said. Everyone has a 100% defined culture, whether you're consciously yeah. creating it or not. And yeah. a lot of it has to do with what the founders will or won't put up with. And I'm just right. kind of curious, how did you do it with your team? And how many people are on your team, by the way? So we have about 20 people right now. Okay. Yeah, in 11 time zones. <laughs> Good luck. That makes it challenging. Isn't it? Yeah. And then we're growing. So the headcount's not a big priority for us. No. But we are growing and the business is growing. So we're likely going to be continuing to add people. Sure. That's great. So quickly, how do you do? I love the sticky note. Post-its are fabulous. So what questions do you ask people to pull that out? Yeah, so where core values lives, as I said, is in us, right, in our brains, if you will. And they're experienced by our reaction to other people's actions and behaviors and words, although the word stuff I would discount for a reason I'll get into in a second. So, for example, if you think about how you were raised by your family around dinner time. This is always a great example, right? Like, what were the rules around dinner? Could you walk into the kitchen, grab your plate, and go in front of the TV alone, right? <laughs> yep. you know? Or would people look at you like, what the heck are you doing? Like, oh, my God, are you crazy? Right? And that's the core values, and that's the culture of that family. So the core values exist in what behaviors, actions, and reactions are considered acceptable, are considered the right ones, the great ones, the not-so-great ones. They exist in our actions and our behaviors, and not in our words. Our words, especially in knowledge workers, most of your behaviors and actions are words, Mm -hmm. but action speaks louder than words. One of the things you have to be worried about with this process is if your words aren't consistent with the actions, Mm -hmm. they're bankrupt. So... That's why we really want to go, and the way we do the core values exercise, it's not about what we think about and what we want to talk about, but what we do is we go and look and say, basically, over the last 90 days, what did you observe other people do that you thought were awesome, that really, for you, represented a value? And we go around, 
and we go, oh man, you know, when Susan called a client back when after she knew we had screwed up the presentation and didn't live up to their expectations, she called them back and she took responsibility for it and she asked them for their feedback. Like that was courage. So when she did that, I went, wow, that's courage. Mm-hmm. Courage on the board. And we just go around and you do that. And what happens is people will basically vote and say, yeah, I saw that too. And yes, I saw that too. And you start to see consensus. And so each quarter we do that. And then the next quarter we whip out the old ones from last quarter as a starting point. And then we go through the same exercise. And then what happens is each quarter you progress and progress and progress. And new stickies get shown. And more old stickies get kind of clustered together into these themes. And then as you do that, they start to coalesce into things that aren't going to change anymore. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Thank you. I mean, I know a lot of people are going to be very grateful for hearing how you do it. And I love that you're asking, what do you see that's awesome as opposed to what did you see that didn't work? <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's kind of the litmus test sometimes. So I love your starting point. It's powerful because you also, as you are creating those values, you're collecting all the stories that support those. And that, I think, that's what creates the culture is examples, as you said, it's the actual actions and behaviors people are doing, not just what they think or say about it. I'm a huge fan of Zappos and their core values as well. And the stories that they have for each of their core values is a riot, if you've ever read their culture book. And again, it's the only other organization I know that's super, super conscious about that. But that collection of actual behaviors that reflect that, that's gold. That's just an amazing legacy for everyone to hear about and that keeps it rich and keeps it real. So that's powerful. Okay, so Christian, let's just jump into the five core values because they're so rich and there's so much to it, but I can't wait to hear how you articulate them now that we know you got there through through the post-it note process, which I love. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. And so as you can see in the visual, there's five core values and the order is actually important. The first one is a really important one. And by the way, we hire for these core values. So we're looking for these in the people that join our team. Hungry to Learn and Grow is really important because, you know, we're an exponential organization. We live in a world that's changing faster than ever. So, you know, if you think about it, learning and growing is super important. We're not going to make it to where we're getting to unless we as an organization do that. And the organization is just a bunch of computers and people. So if you think about it, how is the organization going to grow if the people aren't growing? Mm -hmm. And I would actually argue that's true of any organization. Totally agree. For high-growth ones, it's particularly important. So learning growing is actually really important because learning in and upon itself isn't enough. Right. The growing part is applying what you learned and producing results and experiences. And so those two pieces are actually quite important. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. So now if you learn new stuff and then you apply it, guess what happens, right? You're going to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to fall off your bike, right? You're going to skin your knee. I was going to say scrape your knee. (laughs) Yeah. And that is going to require courage to keep on doing. And so that's why courage is so important. Courage precedes growth. Hungry to learn and grow, courage precedes growth. You can see how that ties in. Mm -hmm. And so we look for people who are willing to be courageous. And courageous, by the way, a poorly understood term, but it really is the willingness to take action despite your fears and your concerns about it. Mm-hmm. It's the willingness to get out of your comfort zone. And knowing that you don't have all the answers, but doing it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right. And the willingness to do it when you know you're going to fall short of your own expectations. Because a lot of people, by the way, that we hire, a lot of knowledge workers, they're perfectionists. I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. Right? <laughs> right? So that's really important. Now, that's all serious stuff, so we have to work together all day long. So happy and have fun, that's also really important. Now, the happy part is kind of like what they bring, and the having fun is what we do. So that's how those two pieces fit together. If you think about it, most collaboration in an office environment is about problems, right? Mm-hmm. Your meetings are full of problems. Dan Sullivan at Strategy Coach, you know, he, he has this positive focus concept that's so important, and this is really one of the practices that anchored it in my brain to how to apply this. So as leaders, it's really important that people are having fun because that's what's going to motivate them and drive them to continue to be gluttons for punishment in the whole courage thing. (laughs) They have to enjoy it. Yeah. 
by the way, the Happy Net Fund for me is actually one of the most important ones as a leader. Because if people aren't having fun, like it ruins everything for me, which is funny. But if, if they are having fun or if they aren't having fun? If they aren't having fun, it ruins it for me. Like I've been doing this too long to not have fun. Well, I think that's a really key point, and I love that this, I mean, for companies. So you've done this before, and you know what not to do. You said that earlier. And I remember reading in Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea, mm-hmm. you know, with his previous company, he had a company he didn't want to go into every day. Yeah, right. And that's why he's so clear about Zappos' core values and why he focuses so much on their culture is because he wanted to have a place where he wanted to come to work, and you sound exactly the same. If it's not yeah. fun, why bother? Right, and I would also argue, although it's a small digression, that you think you can fake it, but you can't fake it. No, especially under pressure. Under pressure, the faking cracks. I mean, this has to be genuine and real for people or go do something that you'd rather be doing. Yeah, so that for me, it's a really important one. Do it the easy way. This is the anchor around you know, the whole exponential thing, but it's also just a lesson in everything. Doing things the hard way and complexity, by the way, in tech one of the epidemics in tech is complexity, is a, almost an addiction to complexity. But if you look at all the great successes in the world, in the realm of entrepreneurship, and really probably anything, they're so simple. The iPhone revolutionized the smartphone by having one button on the front. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I could go on and on, right? But simplifying is how you scale. You can't scale complexity. You can mm-hmm. only scale simplification. So that's a really important strategic value for us because it aligns us with how we're going to deliver value for our customers, well, period, but also how we're going to scale up exponentially. And then the fifth one is be humble. A lot of other organizations can position this more in terms of delivering value to customers or commitment to customers. For me, it's a little bit more 360 degrees to call it a commitment to being humble. Humble leadership, measuring my leadership by the success I support in other people, mm-hmm. creating a culture of humility and of creating value for others. We're creating a marketplace, which is about creating value for others. By the way, it's not about us. The marketplace is not about Hero X. The marketplace is about the courageous, amazing people who are supporting innovation by putting up prizes, and then the innovators who have the courage and the drive to sign up and try to solve those problems. So it's about them. It's not about us. Well, that encompasses a commitment to customer value. It encompasses a commitment to supporting each other in the company. And it's a really important kind of foundation, almost a little spiritual foundation for all of the other values to really live on long term. It also keeps ego out of it. Yeah. Right. You're always serving something that's bigger and greater than you are, which mm-hmm. means that it's not about you, it's not about your reputation, only to the degree to which it serves your audience. So I I like that. I think it's an incredibly healthy core value to have. Yes. Yeah, so those are the five core values that we came up with. Awesome. Oh, they're fabulous. And I love it because the five are easy to remember. So just to summarize, so if you're taking notes, and we'll get this to you. So hungry to learn and grow, courage precedes growth, be happy and have fun, do it the easy way, and be humble. And it looks really simple, but there's a lot of, not complexity, that's not the right word. There's a lot of rich yeah. richness and depth to it. So let's go into hungry and learn to grow. And by the way, I think being humble actually feeds into that one. As you were talking, I'm like, yeah, if you're humble, you know you don't know everything, which means you want to learn more and you're hungry for that. So there's also five different, as you said, ways that this gets expressed. So let's go over those and we'll just dive deep into a couple of them. Yeah, and like I said, I could talk for you know an hour about each of them probably. <laughs> so I will keep it short, and you can jump in to keep the pace going. But they're loosely organized from white belt over to black belt, okay? Although nice. we haven't quite refined that yet. Again, we're continually improving our company and continually iterating this process. So the first one is discover over create. This is, again, creating is hard. Creating something from scratch is hard super hard. And yet, in a lot of environments, it's kind of a systemic behavior like, oh, uh, I needed to you know, write a proposal for this guy, so I started a new document, and I started typing it out, and here it is, right? That's not how we want to do things. We want to be, here's a template. Oh, well, that template doesn't work. Okay, well, let's figure out, how do we solve that problem with the template, and how do other people solve that problem? Let's learn from others, and then apply it in our organization. And so the whole idea of discovering 
and finding solutions in other people is 10 times more efficient than trying to sort it out ourselves. So that's what that one's about. Okay, I would love to talk to you for that one about an hour. That's kind of yeah. a fascinating philosophy. And it reminds me of Steve Jobs' quote that I've heard. This is why I've, I've heard it quoted. It may be a little bit different. But creativity is simply putting stuff together. Yeah. And the stuff already exists. That's kind of the point. And that's what you're saying. Look and see what's around versus reinventing the wheel. And I love that you just said it's 10 times more efficient because I couldn't agree more. But I fall into that creative trap all the time. So I'm kind of like, oh, note to self here. Yeah, I've got this quote that's a little controversial, but I say it to other entrepreneurs to shock them. Inventors die alone in a slum apartment in Paris. <laughs> entrepreneurs die rich with their loved ones around them. Ooh, that's very provocative. I love it. Yes. Yeah. And then finally, Shuhari. So this comes from Eastern martial arts. There's actually a Western concept called the conscious competency learning matrix. Yes. Where you start from unconsciously incompetent about something, and then you go through these four phases. I'm not going to talk about that, but it's closely related to that. All I'll say about it, because it's a whole other topic, is that in the West, we are addicted with knowing and figuring it out ourselves and understanding before we take action. And so if you talk to somebody about what they know, you'll get volume, right? But if you look at what they do, sometimes what they know and what they do are very different. The Shuhari concept is all about you meet with a master, and at the shoe level, you do what they ask you to do. No questions, no understanding, no theoretical conversation. Just practice it. Just practice it until you start producing the results expected, right? And then once you move to the ha level, you're now able to start understanding the concepts and apply them yourself. So you've developed a level of conscious competency. And then at the re-level, you are the master. You transcend the process. One of the things that frustrates a lot of people who work with entrepreneurs is an entrepreneur might be committed to a system, and the system's awesome, but then when they actually do it, they don't follow the same system mm -hmm. because they've transcended the system. Mm -hmm. They can do things that people can't normally do, but if you look at the results they produce, they're consistent with the system. They break the rules but they break the rules at a level above it. And so that's the sign of a true master. By the way, I hope everybody has an opportunity to be that about something in their life before they die, because it's really amazing. And it's also the source of that massive improvement and innovation in the systems that can be created. Mm. It's pretty black belt, right? It totally is, and it also ties back over everything else, which is really cool too. Yeah. I love how much thought you've put into this. I'm just completely blown away by... Again, I keep saying this, but depth and richness of the thinking that's gone into that. And I know it's a team creation, mm -hmm. which makes it even more powerful, but it's like, wow, this is awesome. Okay, let's jump to the next one. Courage precedes growth. What are the steps of that? Yeah, so the first one's super simple. It's just willingness to say yes without the answers. <laughs> Definitely will take courage. Pretty simple, right? It's the willingness to just do it and fail. We actually, in our onboarding process, I won't give all secrets away, but courage shows up. The people fail, and the onboarding is actually kind of designed for them to fail. Isn't that weird? We were just reading the book Mindset as a team leader group, and what you're testing there is whether or not someone looks at that failure, I'd imagine, as a growth opportunity or if they totally are shattered and just can't stand being challenged because that conflicts with their fixed mindset that if they're bad at that, then they're no good at anything. Yes, but it's far more fundamental. It's just the demonstrating the willingness to continue forward. Mm-hmm and persevere. In other words, it's the courage. Right. Really it. essential at that level. And then the, the bring it on. So the way I would describe this, and I, when I coach entrepreneurs, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs, what I tell them is that all true growth comes from being unreasonable. Being reasonable is how we justify the way things are. But the real growth comes from being unreasonable. Like just go to a trainer, hire a trainer in a gym right? And try to be reasonable with the trainer and <laughs> see, how, you, see how your body changes versus the trainer yelling, you know, three more. And you're like, are you kidding me? Three more? I can't do three more, but somehow you pull it off, right? Right. And that's where the strength is created. So being unreasonable is something that's been de-indoctrinated out of most of us in the West from our education system, all the playing it safe crap, the addiction to understanding, blah, blah, blah. But true entrepreneurship comes from being unreasonable, and the more our team can be unreasonable. And there's a whole training there that I won't get into, but that's a really important one. Mm -hmm. Honesty, 
you know, that just boils down to the willingness to really transcend politics and really be flat with each other in conversations, even if it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Ownership, you know, again, requires courage when somebody is doing something wrong or they're doing something against our values to step up and say, hey, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Does that lead to some uncomfortable conversations sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. You know, ownership is like a place to stand, right? Honesty is how you act from that place. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then do it anyways. I mean, this is one of my favorites, and I actually got this from Joe Polish, who's also in the 10X program. The quote anyways, the do it anyways I've been doing for ever since I became an entrepreneur, right? Which is, you know, amateurs wait for inspiration and pros do it with a headache. <laughs> that is right? so true. Yeah. If I have a board meeting where there's some tough issues I've got to discuss on Tuesday, and I wake up, and I'm like, oh, the last thing I want to do is a freaking board meeting. Well, I need to bring 100% to that board meeting. You know, I don't have the luxury of having, oh, well, you know, I'm not, I've got to perform. And so the ability to step up and do that, that takes courage. It takes internal courage to really be able to say, you know, okay, I feel this way, I feel that way, but I'm bringing my A game anyways. And you're digging deep, and you're being unreasonable with yourself, Mm -hmm. in a sense, but that whole professionalism, just like, I made a commitment, I'm going to follow through in that. I don't care if it's personally uncomfortable. I'm going to stretch to do it. Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful one. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Let's go through the rest. We'll just pull out a couple, but I think you just even saying the titles of them is so powerful. I love it. Yeah, so at the next level then, you know, be happy and have fun. So the first one is positive fun. And that's really about living life as if it's a game and having fun and bringing fun to tough issues, right? And Business, by the way, is business is a game. It's not really real. I think most people might not figure that out until they're on their deathbed and look back and go, oh, yeah, you know, that was all just a game. But it is. It's just a game. We keep score. We've got this stuff called money and stuff. But it really, at one level, it's a game. Or another way I'd say it is if you relate to it like it's a game and you have fun with it, you're going to be far more successful than if you're serious and blah, blah, blah. That, to me, is so essential because I also relate fun and you know, a sense of humor with an alternate perspective, which I think yeah. brings in new ideas. Me at my most serious self is actually not my most creative self. So if I'm laughing about something, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was really loud down the hall the other day because Babs and Kathy and a few other people were just cracking jokes about stuff. And it was hysterical. And yeah. it's so neat to be in an atmosphere where that's totally cool. And then we go back to doing our great things. But it lends itself to a level of community and creativity that otherwise wouldn't be there. Yeah, exactly. And you can be serious and have fun at the same time. Mm-hmm. Lighthearted, serious-minded is a great expression I've heard that I just, to me, captures that. Yeah. Happiness first. What's important here is the idea of generating happiness versus being happy because of your external stimulation, right? So if people are like, oh, I'll be happy when then my environment gives me what I need to be happy. But right now I'm not happy because somebody said something mean to me and then, I had a meeting that went over time and I was late for this, but that's maybe not happy. No, 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 we don't accept that. Happiness first. You bring happy. Because I don't know if you noticed, but when you're in a group of people and they're happy, you are happy by default. Again, it's part of this social animal thing, right? You can't not be happy when you're surrounded by happy people. At least it's super hard, mm-hmm. right? It's catching. It only takes one really cranky jerk <laughs> to drag everybody else down. Don't be that so, person. Happiness first creates the necessary conditions for everybody to be happy, which is super awesome. Which is cool. I mean, Dan has a concept called proactive gratitude. And this just reminds me of something very similar. That one is you're grateful first. Um, and this one is you're happy first. You know, yeah. it's just as you've said. So proactive happiness is opposed to being reactive in response to something someone else did. You bring that to the party and then that facilitates everyone else's increasing their happiness level too. Exactly. Yeah. Very so cool. that's that one. Enjoy the journey. It's a conceptually easy, hard to live by, and that's just understanding that the journey is the destination, and all the destination gives you is a harder journey anyways. Mm-hmm. Okay? So learn to love the journey. There's nothing wrong with goals, but get that the journey is the part that's really important. Make it fun. So this is a leadership element of the happiness first, right, which is of a leader. And this is really important of leadership is be the source of making things fun for people. And at a leadership level, it becomes like an expectation. The leaders are fun. So leaders don't get to come to me in my company and be like, okay, well, I'm having this problem with this other person and they're a jerk. You don't get to do that. And then we do have, again, this is 
very profound, and it's been written about by a lot of people, and especially in Eastern philosophy. People think it's do, have, be. Mm-hmm. Right? If I work hard, and I sacrifice, and I stay at work and neglect my family, I will have success and money and a promotion, and then I'll be happy. And then I'll be able to take care of my people. Mm-hmm. And it's the opposite. It's the opposite is true. In my opinion, true success and mastery of, of a happy life is understanding that it's to be first. is the first step of being. And then the being that has you do the things that are the right things for you to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Dan was just talking about it's your mindset. A lot of it is like, are you striving to get there or are you already there? And you simply expand that. And the way people just sort of calm down when they realize they're already where they thought they needed to get to, and they just the job now is just to expand it, and all of a sudden they just go, oh, <laughs> it's kind of profound to see that shift. You're totally right. The philosophers that have written about that, it really is counter to a lot of how people are raised and how they're growing. And again, I'm sure there's some unlearning that has to happen for people. Yeah, and it's a very advanced thing. It's, that's why it's the black belt thing. Right? Mm-hmm very advanced. And not everybody's going to be a black belt at the company, right? But definitely the people that are are going to be given the greatest responsibility. Very cool. So then do it the easy way. So obviously the first one is unique ability, and you know where I got that one from? Yes, I have heard that before. I think we wrote a book about it. <laughs> yeah. So kiss, keep it super simple is the nice way of saying it. That is much nicer than how I would have said it. Yeah. Thank you. Keep it super simple. It goes without saying. But a commitment to simplicity, 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 simplicity. Complexity is the enemy of all growth and creation, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. The universe always takes the path of least resistance. It always takes the simplest solution. It always does it. And there's a reason for that. So that's fundamental. Row, results-only work environment, again, is all about creating an environment where all we truly care about in terms of performance monitoring and time in the office and all that stuff is the results that are produced. So we manage results. We don't manage the traditional stuff that people talk about. Law of least effort. So this, again, gets a little bit deeper, but the whole idea is that, what I said before, the universe runs by the law of least effort. Conservation of energy and all the laws of physics is all about least effort. Now, we have this culture, especially in the U.S. and North America, about working hard and work ethic, and that's all great. But if you really want to create value, value comes from the lazy man solution, the way I like to describe it. <laughs> That's appealing to me. Well, I like to describe it because it's provocative and it makes people think. What do you mean? No, we've learned that laziness is bad, right? It's a vice, right? But actually, if you look at all the great things and the great successes in life, they were the lazy man solution. You know? The washing machine is a lazy man solution. Right? The automobile. I mean, do you want to walk 10 miles? <laughs> right? All innovation has been about the law of least effort, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. All right. And last but not least. Yeah. So be humble. Again, so this is about love versus fear, in my opinion. That's what humility is about. But humble, again, is a poorly understood word, I think, in the West, because it's not about being weak, but it's about living in love and not fear. Mm-hmm. And there's whole books about it, and people can read it from smarter people than me. So we serve, so creating value for others and making it about them and not us and mm-hmm. doing that at all levels. So not just our customers, but when I'm meeting with a coworker and we're working on something, make it about them. You know, help them be successful. Mm-hmm. Even somebody who's like wronged you, right? <laughs> that takes some enlightenment. Yeah, right? Which is the willingness to be wrong. A common saying, I, and I don't know where I got this from, but you can be right or you can get results. Mm-hmm. Right, And so many of us get caught in the trap of wanting to be right about something with somebody else. And what we're actually doing is we're telling our brain and ourselves that being right is more important than the results. If I want a happy relationship with my wife and I feel like she did something wrong and she doesn't think she did it wrong, if I want to be right about that, think about it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm giving up my result of a harmonious, loving relationship because I'm not willing to be wrong. Well, Guess what? This is what I've learned in my time as an entrepreneur, right? Being right is old and tired and boring. (laughs) Much more interesting to be wrong. 
You know what I mean? And being wrong, by the way, this is a little bit weird, but being wrong is actually a gift you can give to another person. Now, that sounds weird. And by the way, I was born with a massive commitment to being right. Like, I'm one of the rightest people. Like, the thing gets crazy, right? I used to fight and argue, and people hated working with me. Like, I'm a recovered something. Um, but when I'm fighting with one of my team about the right strategy, and they're like, no, 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 we do it this way. And they're able to produce the results because I'm willing to say, okay, I'm wrong, and you do it. That's like a gift I've given them. What I get in return is the result. Mm-hmm. Hard to explain. That's powerful. At a tactical level, what have you been wrong about today? And when somebody acknowledges they were wrong, celebrating it as a core value, that's really important. That's why it's the level two one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then be a multiplier is kind of a bit of a roll-up of all of them. And it's from a book called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. It's a great book. It covers a lot. And it's hard to master. But being a multiplier is really a commitment to create leaders and success in other people, a commitment to that. So mm-hmm. I think that's like the height of leadership. And it's scalable leadership, by the way, scalable, which is the part I like. Mm-hmm. And the humble part is giving up the recognition, right? And that's when you're really able to help other people be successful and your contribution as a leader is making other people successful. Mm-hmm. And I believe the rewards will come anyways. Absolutely. But they're a byproduct. They're not what you're shooting for first. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So, first of all, thank you, Christian. This is incredibly rich, as I've been saying, and I love getting a little bit more depth and explanation of each of them because there's so much, as I said, thought that goes into it. So a couple questions before you wrap up. Kind of like, how does this play out day to day? So do people call each other on stuff or when someone comes and talks about another team member, how do you coach them? How does this work in the day to day functioning of HeroX? So first off, the most important element of this are the five core values. Right. And just living them and having them show up in just general terms. So that's actually what we focus on much more in terms of just making sure that everybody is aligned with their core values. As we continue to like evolve and mature, we're weaving this more into our personal development program for our people, get the level ones kind of skills with them and set some goals. And we're actually going to start basing performance reviews, although we don't do performance reviews, we don't like performance reviews, but the concept of a performance review in terms of salary increases and things like that are a big part of salary increases is going to be how they've demonstrated applying these skills in the company. Fabulous, yep. And moving through the levels, because I'm not expecting people to do all of this. It's a lot. But the leaders will do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I expect myself to live the highest level of this stuff. So a lot of it for me about these things is really about my commitment as a leader and then supporting the development of the people through the process because these are all learned skills. And the only other thing I'll say about it is that nobody is going to be all of these across all five. Everybody's going to resonate with one of these values more than others. So I'm happy if somebody becomes Mr. Fun, right, mm-hmm. and he's level five in fun. And that's what he brings. And then somebody else can be Mr. Courage or Miss Courage, right? You know what I mean? And so as a collective whole, this is what we stand for. We each contribute to it in our own way. That's awesome. So if someone is not exhibiting that, maybe they're just having a bad day. You said this is a great part of your hiring process. Have you ever had to let go of someone because they weren't willing to uphold the values? It's pretty much the only reason we've let go of people. Interesting. But it's a little more nuanced than that. It's not that they're not living the values. It's that their values that they're bringing to the table is different. I like to think about it, but what are they bringing versus what are they not bringing? Mm -hmm. If you're not careful, by the way, and this is a good tip for everybody who's still listening, (laughs) don't turn this into like the thought police. Right. Don't use this as a weapon to judge. I don't really allow negative talk about this, like what's not showing up. I talk mm-hmm. about what's showing up. That's what I talk about what's showing up, not what's not showing up. Because if you do that, you turn into the thought police, and first off, fun disappears. Okay? Very There's, quickly. But the way it looks is like, so for example, I had a team member that left, and what happened was a core value that was super important to them was respect. Okay? Hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with respect. And there's probably a lot of other companies that respect should be one of their core values. It's just not one of our core values. So when people did some of these other exercises, they got into disrespect. 
Mm. Right? Like, I'm feeling disrespected. That was disrespectful to that person. We need to respect the client. So we need to do this, this, and this because that's respectful for the client. Okay? That's not our core values. And when you have that core value be higher than others, that's how it looks. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I really appreciate that example because that helps make it clear. Yeah. It's not that you're a disrespectful organization. I wouldn't say that that's true at all. But other things are more important like that, like growth and experimenting and making mistakes and, and learning and having fun. And to someone with that other core value, through their filter, it's not a fit. It's not a fit. Everybody who's left the organization because they're not a core values fit, I don't bear them any ill will. And I don't feel like we're superior and they're inferior. That would be silly. It wouldn't be humble, that's for sure. And we want like-minded people who are ambitious and growth-oriented, and that's for our team as well as our clients. You almost have to find people who already have, at some level, perhaps a different articulation of these values, and they're going to be the right fit. Changing someone else's core values, good luck with that, is what, exactly. yeah. what I've found. So you're looking for the match rather than trying to brainwash someone into your version of them. The match and the prism because everybody has a different set of core values in the articulated way. I don't care about their core values. What I care is that they can articulate them into HeroX's core values. Mm -hmm. They might come with something slightly different, like ambition or something, right? Right. But as long as they can anchor that to courage and to growing, so they can anchor what's important to them, they can have their own core values. They don't have to convince me that one of the big mistakes that a lot of people that we interview do is they try to convince me that their core values is our core values. <laughs> I don't care about that. And I suspect it. I, like, it's suspicious to me. What I care about is that you can thrive, you can find your way of expressing your unique ability in the way that you are in these core values. Probably my way of our saying it would be that they can be in alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, you can work towards a common purpose and everyone brings that to the table and they can work together. They don't have to be exactly the same, but they can't right. be opposite. They have to be able to, as you said, fit in. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's important. And diversity, well, I'll make one last point, is that diversity is super important. And again, if you make this a weapon, you make it thought police, you're going to try to create a monoculture. And so that's why I just said, like, people don't have to have all five. They just have to have an anchor. Like, even one really great anchor value is great as long as they're not doing something else that's really screwing up the others. Right, I appreciate that. Well, just to wrap up, one of the things I love about the core values, and it's very generous of you to share them with us, thank you, is that it really provides a growth path. Someone may have that anchor and they're really good in one and they see how they can grow into others. And I just imagine that everyone will have exponential growth for themselves on the team as well as helping Carol X grow exponentially. In my recipe book, that's how things work. You know, if we want to grow a strategic coach, we can't do it if our team members aren't growing. So that to me is a really, really core element. And you've laid out a growth path. I mean, unique ability is core to that. People are going to grow and expand in their unique ability. And then they're going to work with each other this way. I mean, that's a very powerful system that you've created to really ensure Hero X's much bigger future that can be, as you said, scale, because I love that that's always your criteria. Mm -hmm. So I just want to ask you one final question. What would your advice be to entrepreneurs, startup or otherwise, in terms of their core values and how that relates to how they want to grow? Just a couple of last words of wisdom, because you've been really clear and articulate about how important you think it is. But what would you specifically tell other companies, tell other entrepreneurs who are listening or, or even team leaders who are listening? Yeah, it's easy to get overwhelmed okay. by this kind of thing, right? So don't worry about understanding it all or doing it all or anything like that. The first level is to really get that you have 100% culture and 100% set of values in your company already. It's always 100%. You know, if you put 10 strangers on an island and you went back a month later, a whole culture would show up. Right? Yes. Okay? As a leader, be present to who people are being and not what they're saying. Right? When I'm in a meeting with somebody, I'm watching, this is from a lot of practice, okay? A lot of practice. I'm watching who they're being more than I'm listening to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, all you'll see is values. They'll pop in your head without any willpower whatsoever because you see it all the time. That's fantastic. For me, it's, it's like listening to you who's put together so many different companies and is obviously creating something that's going to have a global impact. I appreciate knowing your process, knowing how it's working, knowing how you think about things. I always feel like I get this incredible window into 
I was going to say mastery or it's not even excellence. It really is unique ability because I think you have a unique ability to put this together mm-hmm. and to create that with a team, which a lot of other people don't. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that so much with us. And just a huge thank you, Christian. I know there's more we could actually talk about, but we've certainly gone over our normal time frame. Thanks a million. And can you give the address again where, where people can find out more about HeroX and download your core values? Absolutely. So go to HeroX.com slash values. That's and easy. Your core values there. Great. And if people want to know about incentive competitions and how they can do that for themselves, it's HeroX.com? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Fabulous. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Hi, Shannon here, and thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach Program for Entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more Team Success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com.